Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, this is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. During this time of the coronavirus, COVID-19, I decided until further notice to dedicate the Reasonable Voices radio program to reminders of how we Americans have weathered many hardships before and came through them stronger together. However, this is not just a happy talk show uh, that will ignore or deny reality. We are in a bind, and and not just because of the coronavirus, COVID-19. There are a number of major challenges that all of us living in America are having to deal with every day. Some as new as COVID-19, others that have been around far too long. So in any case, I invited my good Broadway friend Avery Summers, who is an award-winning, by the way, actress-singer, whose voice has been called a powerhouse by the New York Times. I think I've mentioned to you in the past, I've invited her to pre-record on the second Monday of every month, and it is the second Monday of every month today, uh, Monday, September 14th, so we can see America, if not the world, as it is through the eyes of a successful, hard-working, and faith-driven survivor who happens to be an African-American female. And so it is with Avery Summers. Welcome back, Avery. How are you today? Very well, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the time that I have to spend with you and your guests. Well, we appreciate you, too, and as I told, I'll I'll tell everybody what I said to you. I needed a guest like you today, someone who is down-to-earth, on the ground, as you would probably say, who has all of this talent and who shares that with all of us, but also uses that talent and that, that voice to give us all a reality check from time to time, and we've decided to do that at least once a month for a while. First, let's talk about your directing the play, The Intersection of Lincoln and Parks, about Rosa Parks, I believe. How did that go, and um, were there any new discoveries historically or artistically with the cast? What what happened? Well, yes, we did uh, get very much involved in searching about uh, Rosa Parks and the things that uh, may have happened before she was well known. And one of those things was as a descendant of a young woman by the name of Reese Taylor. Mm. She was raped and basically left for dead, but she did not die. And her captors were never indicted, ever, and but they were known. And the police department just never did anything about it because at the time, and this was in the early 50s, um, it was not something that was important to do for African-Americans, especially African-American females. So she lived to be 92 years old, and towards the end, they gave her a wonderful sort of thank you for bringing those guys to their attention, but they were never, ever indicted. So the, the city of uh, Alabama uh, gave her 
all the accolades that she was supposed to get before she passed away. And I really appreciate them for having at least kept it on the books for 50 odd years and, and gave her her due. Mm. So Rosa Parks was the, uh, an outspoken person who was big community for doing a lot of great things and by the time she got to the the bus mm -hmm. uh, she was already well known in her community but she had had some issues with that same bus driver because he put her off the bus see uh, African Americans had to get on at the at the front of the bus mm -hmm. pay their fare get off and get back on at the back of the bus I had no and idea she, I'd never known Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Oh, yes. That was that. That's a fact, and they had to do it. Every single one of them had to do it. Well, one time he was so angry with her for taking so long to get her money that he drove off and left her after she put her money in, got off, and got ready to get on the back of the bus. And it was the same driver, the very same driver that actually had her arrested. So um, she had a lot of a lot of things to deal with. And um, the police department had a lot of issues. Wow. But, you know, timing is divine, as you and I have said before. And uh, to have had that experience, that first experience with this bus driver, I think, you know, it made it a perfect choice as it worked out. Did he be the one that, uh, you know, that where she sat and refused to give up her seat? God bless her. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had no idea about the pay, get off, and get back out. Oh. All right. Well, I've learned something new today, and uh, which those kinds of things, you know, what upsets me is that I used to teach history. It just didn't have all the history in the book I was teaching from. But okay, don't get me on that one. Tell us, um, I know uh, we had said we're going to talk about elections and voting today, uh, and we're working our way toward it, but I always like the audience to know who they're listening to. And so tell us about... Um, this whole videotaping process you did for the 100th anniversary of the League of Women Voters of Palm Beach County, including why you sang You're Gonna Hear From Me. Well, first of all, thank you. It was a, a wonderful idea that a publicist that I've worked with for quite a while decided to do. He called and asked would I be interested in sort of giving my view about the 100th anniversary and would I be willing to sing? And I said, yes, I would. And he said, would you sing God Bless the USA? And when he asked that, I said, I don't think, Gary, that I am uh, able to do that right now with the climate the way it is. And George Floyd had just been killed. Mm -hmm. And I was just, my heart was hurting. Um, my, my sense of myself was hurting. And to sing God Bless the USA uh, at that time just did not sit well with me. And so I said, no. I don't think that I'm uh, ready to sing that song. And he actually said, oh, my Lord, Avery, I am so sorry. I didn't even think about that. I just love the way you sing the song. Mm. So he said, let me look around and find out if there is another one of your songs that would fit this particular situation. And he came upon You're Gonna Hear From Me, which is one of the songs on my CD that I love and a lot of people have loved. And so we did the videotaping at a place here in South Florida called Arts Garage. Uh, and I've appeared there many times. As a matter of fact, I will be appearing there again on May 7th of 2021 with my 75-minute show. But uh, we did it there, and it was well-received. It's going to be shown, streamed live, on the day after the elections. You know, so I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just, I'm very, very excited and happy that I was asked to be involved in that process. And in the process, you skipped to my last question, but that's all right. I'm going to ask it again at the end of the show. And that's, tell us, okay. tell us even more about this new performance in May of 2021. But I just wanted to just mention again the producer who came to you to sing this song and his response to your response I didn't think about it because I I have you know I've confessed on the show like 
so many people. I have a dear, dear friend who happens to be a black corporate guy. And when he comes to me for my direction in his presentations, he will often say, well, if, if there's something I don't quite get that he's talking about that he wants me to help him explain, he'll say, well, okay. it's because you were born in privilege. And I, you know, I always give him a look and he says, it's not, it's not a criticism, it's just a fact. And it doesn't, it isn't just about money. And it always, it still hits me. But today, for instance, I had never known, never, ever, ever, ever known that African-Americans had to get on the front of the bus, pay the, their fare, and then get off the bus and walk and enter from the back of the bus. And that's just been reeling in my mind as you've been talking. But to hear your friend say, I didn't think about it. I just didn't think about it. I understand what he means. There's so much... So much education that's missing from those of us who want to know more. Anyway, how do you interpret or justify, if we can, or explain the splits and separations within the early 20th century women's suffrage movement as we approach America's November 2020 elections? I mean, I know that seems like a, a leap of a, of a transition, but... I see a big connection, of course, between Rosa Parks and women's suffrage. Mm. And uh, I wonder, what are your thoughts about that? It's uh, well known that, uh, well, you, you tell me what you think and, and I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> uh, well, you know, here's, here's one thing that I gleaned from thinking about it and, and reading about it. The women's suffrage was not still black women. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with African American women. It was white women who were feeling the sense of not being included and so they stood together and decided to do something about it. And then African American women basically, as I, I like to say, raised their hand and said, what about us? Mm -hmm. What about us? That still does not include us. And so there were some really forward-thinking, forward-moving African-American people who got together. It was a husband and wife that came from Baltimore to New York, and they started their own movement. And within their family, I believe there were four or five women who were the aunts and nieces and nephews of the original two people who were encouraged to always think about African-Americans and voting and how that would affect the community in the African-American community, how what you vote on is what you get. And that brings me to our sense of apathy now with so many people in our communities having a sense of, well, it doesn't include me. If I vote, fine. If I don't vote, fine. Well, that's not the case. Mm. People way back stood in line. They, they were harassed. They were targeted for wanting to have a voice in this country that says that if I vote, then I should get. If I don't vote, I don't have much to say about what's going on. And it's still a fact this very day that if you don't vote don't complain mm. because that really is the difference at least if you've made your voice heard and you've done the right thing and you've stood in line or nowadays I think more people because of the pandemic are going to do voting with purpose but they're going to go bring their ballots to a place and drop them off there's more purpose now. People are more purpose-driven mm. about voting. At least that's how I feel. That's certainly what I'm going to do. But back then, people were, like now almost, Marcello, harassed. Harassed yes. and beaten and, and, and threatened to do something that this country says we have the right to do. We have a right to have a voice. Yes. But our voice has been systematically taken away now in this present age and it just breaks my heart and it makes me very angry to have to deal with something that was almost 200 years ago yes. it was 100 years ago 
about voting. Yes, exactly. And and women of of all colors, but particularly women of color, have always been the last in line that men in power even think about, you know, what mm-hmm. their needs are, what their desires are. And, you know, I, I have some very good friends who actually serve in public office have said, well, they've said it on the air. They didn't just say it to me even even when I was doing an interview with them, but not voting is a vote. It's just a Correct. vote. It's it's a vote for it's a vote for a serendipity. It's a vote for whatever might happen. It's a vote for not having a say. You know, it's a vote for apathy. It's but it's still uh-huh. you're making a statement by staying at home, uh-huh. and it's uh-huh. not a it's not a positive one that for the country or for the person who stays home, and in many cases, right. of course, for those of us who do vote because. We're left with your decision, too. Anyway, Avery, I'm so glad to be talking to you again. You really, oh, you just really, even, it, you know, you get you get my blood up, as they say, but it's in a very good way. It's in a very good way because we have to think, and we don't think if we don't talk about it with people anyway. What about, That's right. What about the differences? I noticed recently this with the... Um, I know everyone says it's a crazy thing, Marcello. There's such a stark difference between Joe Biden and and Donald Trump. Why do you even bring it up? But I'm not talking about the individuals. I'm talking about this now the conventions. Mm-hmm. Recently, each major national party had a convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What did you think of the two conventions? Did you see any of both? Yes, I did. I saw a bit of the Republican convention. I. I must say that I could not stay with it for very long. Um, but I will now go back to the Democratic Convention. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. Yes. It was well done. It was thoughtful. There were people from around the country, all over this country, who expressed their thoughts, their desires. This comes from every culture. Um, they were well represented. It was just absolutely done in a way that I am accustomed to things being done on Broadway and in television and in film. It was from top to bottom so well done, so well orchestrated, and uh, ended up with Joe Biden and, and his wife speaking their truth, and everybody was just totally delightful. The young man who, the tiny, I think he was 14 years old, and he had uh, a problem with stuttering and stammering, and they had him on at prime time one night. And don't you think that that young man pulled it out? He just, he, I was sitting here cheering and crying at Mm. the same time because it was just that effective. And I, I'm so thrilled that Joe Biden's camp made a point of doing something about something that he dealt with in his life yes. that nobody else can understand unless you've been there. Mm. Yes. You can make fun of it. You can poke fun at it. You can do all the really unfortunate things that people do nowadays so much more. But unless you've been there and you can invite this young man in all of his little glory to speak on his behalf. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. What 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 better way to pull at the heartstrings of this nation? What impressed me the most about it, it I I just was just blown away by it. It was great TV, there's no question there. Uh, you know, the the it the people who did it were the Emmy winners for uh, producing the Tonys. But um <laughs> but it, but as you mentioned because I've never been on Broadway like some people but uh but <laughs> film and television I have done but when you've done when you know film TV and Broadway as you do you you know when something is of great value that it has risen above the norm or what is usually expected and what I loved about it most uh, and there were friends over, and I, I know I'm I'm speaking the truth because of their reaction. When going around the country to nominate Biden, we saw America. 
We saw what it looks like in different places. Many of us haven't seen that. We saw what the people looked like. We saw what they sound like, the different accents. We saw different languages. We saw uh, we saw areas not on the continental USA, uh, and not just Hawaii, by the way. And and I my comment to everyone in the room, especially those who were surprised by certain things, that this is America, and if we'd all get out and see it, or just record the convention and play it over and over, so you get some sense of we are not just one thing. And isn't that great? What do you think? What do you think, uh, Avery? Absolutely, it's great. And and here's the thing that I I believe a lot of us don't understand is we're not coast to coast. We're not California. We're not New York. We're mm. not Florida, and we're not say Connecticut or or the North. Uh-huh. We are so many people in the middle of this country and on the periphery and on the edges that we don't even know about. Mm. I was thrilled. I had not heard some of those accents ever in my life, Same. ever. And, and, and as they went past my ear, I was hoping that I could actually hear more because it was so delicious mm. to be able to hear those those accents and see those people and uh, and get an understanding of oh my goodness wow I would really like to have a conversation with that person yes and that's it you know I mean imagine all the things you would learn I've always felt as horrible in so many ways and of course prejudice racial or otherwise sexual bigotry all of that white supremacy that's terrible but the second thing that always occurs to me is how much we lose from mm-hmm. shutting people out. How much value there is in their experience, in their just their lives, their everyday lives that you can't relate to. And as you say, the sound of their voice even. Well, okay. Um, I, I think we're going to take a break. So I so I can calm down a little bit, but we are talking to uh, my great Broadway film and television friend, and our hat's always off to Mr. Reynolds, Mr. Burt Reynolds, yeah. with whom she worked uh, and had a very close relationship. And we are going to we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back. There's lots more to talk about, so please stay with us. Stay with Avery Summers. We'll be right back. And now from WatchFireMusic.com. Vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Who Will Heal the World? Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my guest today is the film, television, Broadway star, uh, Avery Summers, a very, very dear friend of mine, and I'm so glad to know her and and to hear what she her thoughts are coming from her POV. That's what we're talking about today. 
I wonder how you feel about the U.S. postal system, for instance. So much is being thrown at it these days. And I had a guest the other day, one of my political mentors and friends, who said, you know, it's not the it's not the letter carriers and it's not the postal union, it's management. And we know what she meant by that. But tell us, Avery, from your point of view, what do you think is the best and safest way to vote? How do people, I mean, we can complain about what's going on with the post office, but we're going to have to get around it, at least over November. What yes. are your thoughts? Well, I am, again, I think I've got many, many chambers in my heart that are open and trying to understand what we're going through in our country. And that's from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. When we get to the place where we are doing voter suppression and changing of the the lines in, in this country and making it more blue or more red or whatever, those kinds of things are very heart-rending. And so I, I, it, I try to stay out of the realm of things that break my heart, but these kinds of things break my heart. And the reason they do is that in this country, all of the things that we have in place now, such as voting and voting by mail, have been hard won. Yes. They, people have fought hard in their lives for the right to do the certain things that we can do. If in this country when we're getting elderly someone says, take me to the post office, the physical post office, I can mail my vote in there and I am doing that and I feel good and I know it's going to be counted and I know it's going to make a difference, but now you've got people who are going to stand there possibly with a gun or with something to keep you from casting your vote by mail. Uh, it, it's frightening and it, it makes me angry yet again. And as I said, I'm trying to keep my heart out of these places because I get so emotionally involved <laughs> that, you know, I, I want things to not necessarily go back to the way they were because that was no good either. Mm. But I need for things to be right. Yes. All capital letters. Yes. Right. Yes. You know. For one thing, there are drop boxes being put out. Which, mm -hmm. which goes directly to the voting registrar, not through the post office. And again, we're not blaming the post office or its letter carriers, but they're being persecuted. Their sorting machines mm -hmm. are being taken away. So we need to find ways as the voters to get around that so that does not defeat us. And early voting is one, drop boxes is another. The post office treats election mail very differently. They recognize it. They even deliver it if it has no postage. So again, it's not the postal worker. But um, uh -huh. what what other thoughts do you have uh, about voting and, and how people should go well, about I, it? Yes, I, and I think you're right. I mean, the Dropbox is a perfect example of that. It's wonderful. A friend of mine and I uh, have chosen to do just that. Uh -huh. We're going to go together. We will have our masks. She said, I will pick you up and we will both go there to the drop box and make sure that we put our ballots in the drop box because she's in the same district and precinct that I am. So mm. we are going to do that. But I believe that people now, and I, I and my ear, I'm trying to keep my ear to the ground here in West Palm Beach, uh, which is where I live, yes. uh, to find out how and what people are thinking. And honestly, it's pretty quiet around here right now. Hmm. It's pretty quiet. And I believe that maybe, you know, unfortunately, people wait until the quote-unquote last moment to do yes. things. They may have made up their minds about what they're going to do, but they just don't talk about it or they don't do it until the last moment. And sometimes that can be an issue. And I'm voting early. That's simple. It's as simple as that. I'm voting early. My sister and I, many years ago, decided that we were going to do uh, voting by mail uh, because she was beginning to become ill and she couldn't get to the polls. She couldn't stand in line and all that. And we both agreed that that was a wonderful thing to do. So I'm carrying that on uh, for myself as well as for her. But early voting, 
early, early voting. There are all sorts of things in the mail now that say, please let us help you to understand how to vote. We will come to get you. I want to be a part of the mobile unit, mm. quote unquote, to get people that I know of who are not mobile and I take them to the place where they can vote and feel comfortable. Uh, there was a senior citizen place that um, this sister who just passed away a year ago, mm-hmm. she used to go, they will get you on a city bus or a, a bus that they bought, get you to the polls and get you voting. And that's what I love. And that's what that's my plan. That's how I plan to, you know, to get and stay involved. Exactly. And doing something about the problem, the challenge, rather than, you know, just complaining about it. I love that. Do you feel the Democratic Party has taken the black vote for granted? We hear that a lot from mostly from Republicans, but still, it's something to consider. And if you do, what do you want the party to do to correct that? Well, you know, here's, I think that the Democratic Party could possibly take African Americans uh, for granted. And the reason is that we were on board so much with uh, Barack Obama. And of course, there was Biden. And uh, and now, of course, we've got Biden and and Kamala Harris. And God knows, I, I want to find out more and more about her. I just think she's adorable. Yes. And very, very educated and, and, and all of the things that I love about about her. But I believe that people don't realize that African Americans have quite a lot to say. But we as a, 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 a culture and I, I believe also that we just sort of been taking ourselves for granted. Mm. Don't do the things that we have the power to do. We have a lot of power, yes. but we don't realize that, you see. And so if, if one person over the fence or whatever or next door says, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I, it's, you know, they don't need my vote or, or uh, it's not important for, yeah, well, I just don't think this year I'm going to do that. It, you see, it didn't work out. And, you know, he became president anyway and or whatever. Not true. I want to knock on doors and say, please, for God's sake, don't take that at it. Yes. Please. You know, the apathy is just, it's palpable. Yeah. And I don't want that to be the case with, uh, and that's the reason I'm getting into the get out the vote. Yes. Yeah, I've got to do it. I just have to. I hear what you're saying. I saw a, a special something the other day that, Stars like uh, Morgan Friedman, you uh-huh. know, household names were being interviewed about black uh-huh. history. And they asked a question. I loved his answer because I feel the same way. And I've written it many times. They asked, well, what do you think about Black History Month? And he said, he looked at it and the, I can't even remember who the reporter was, but he was a white male and nice guy, very good reporter. But Morgan Friedman looked at him and said, well, where do you, where's your month? And right. he was taken back, uh, but then he said, well, I'm Jewish. And he said, okay, where's the Jewish month? <laughs> and I went, exactly. <laughs> you know, if you really cared about people, you wouldn't say uh-huh. one month was their month. All months are everybody's months, you know? And, That's right. and it's just things like that that you just don't, we don't stop and think about it. We think we've done something. All right, so I feel everything you we've been talking about, of course, has come from you and therefore has come from a a woman who you are, your culture, your skin color, your life experiences, your talents. Do uh-huh. you do you see things differently, do you think? I mean, I don't know how you couldn't, but how is your POV distinct? How's that for a question? How is okay. Well, now, you, you always give me pause to think about something, uh, and I, I need you now to clarify that question. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, well, I'm thinking of me, to tell you the truth, not knowing, mm-hmm. and, and your friend who asked you to come sing, I'll pull him in too, and the reporter talking to Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman. We, we mm-hmm. sometimes ask questions and think things because we don't think big enough. We just don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't, and you're not thinking about what you don't think about. 
because for whatever okay. reason. So I'm asking, uh, let me put the question this way. Tell me, mm -hmm. if you could speak to all non-people of color in mm -hmm. the United States of America, what is it you would tell us we need to learn or think about or experience or watch or visit or see? Well, so here is my thought on that. I think that I feel that we are never really ever thought of as human beings with a beating heart, with a soul, with a need to be treated well, with a need to be thought of and thought first before speaking kind of situation that we find ourselves in many more times than not. We are, we're never thought of as as people, and I'll put it in just those terms. We're not thought of as people, we're thought of as second class people still to this day in 2020, we are thought of as second-class people. We're not thought of as just a human being having a human experience as other people are. White people have human experiences all the time, and mm. it's never, ever thought of. Mm. But if a black person should have a human experience, oh, my gosh, well, oh, um, so-and-so took a knee, or they, they, they picked out their hair, and now they've got this big afro, and oh, my God, that must mean something. And, you know, why did they raise their hands in fist power all those years ago, and, and what does that mean? And why can't in this country we just live and enjoy the fruits of our labor and enjoy a beautiful home, enjoy the sunshine that I'm enjoying today in South Florida. What is it about not being able to hear me and see me mm. in this country that makes my life so difficult and make, makes me have to look over my shoulder constantly to be treated well and to be treated fairly? Why is it I have a month? Why isn't my life good year-round? We have 12 months in a year. Why do I have to have Black History Month? Mm. Like I said, I always said that when Morgan Freeman said it the other night. and I mean, the guy, the reporter was speechless after that. Of course he was, because it's a, it's a silly thing. It, it's what you do when you really don't want to do something. You know, well, let's throw, I hate to put it this way, but it, you, when you you throw a bone and think, okay, you do some superficial thing and get a photo op and you think you've done something and you really haven't. Equality is the easiest thing to make happen. Uh, all right. You know, I lived in West Palm Beach for most of my, the five years that I lived in Florida and I know you've lived so close for those who don't know. West Palm Beach is just a five-minute ride at most to Mar-a-Lago, uh, mm -hmm. depending on where you live in West Palm Beach. But I was right across from the from the Roman Catholic Church there. I can't remember which one, but it's where the Kennedys went. And that's just straight across the bridge, and there you are. What do you think about the, the evaluate or whatever, the federal government's impact on the coronavirus in Florida? Has there been any presence that because there's so little happening elsewhere. People wearing masks? Yes, people are wearing masks. I tell you, at the very beginning of the, the uh, pandemic and all of the uh, shutdowns and, and everything, West Palm Beach somehow seemed to be in a sort of a quote-unquote blessed mm. area because we are, uh, as you say, about five, maybe ten minutes across the bridge from Palm Beach, and there, there were shutdowns of the beach there, and the grocery stores were open, but other businesses were beginning to close, and, and you know, they were they had little curfews put in place and things like that, and everybody said, oh, all right, uh, we'll wear a mask, no problem. My favorite grocery store here is Publix, it's a huge yes. uh, grocery store. Yes. The workers inside were not wearing masks at the time. Hmm. But people entering the store had to have a mask on. And then they had people cleaning the baskets that you could use to do your groceries. Well, at some point, people started coming here from other areas, mainly from New York. And I'm not pointing fingers, but it was easy because a lot of people come here from New York yes. on a daily basis. Oh, yes. And they were coming here in droves 
because they were getting out of New York. At that time, it was ground zero. And they were coming here to escape that, but they brought the virus with them because they didn't quarantine, uh. which is now in place. So then things started to happen, and we began to have issues with having to be quarantined. And now things were closing again. People were upset. Bars and things still are not open. Even now, uh, we are into phase two, which means that more things can open. 11 o'clock at night is the curfew, but bars cannot because people will not social distance. They just will not do it in a bar. If you're drinking and you're at a bar, people forget they get happy and they don't want to stand (laughs) away from each other. And so we closed down for several weeks and it became very difficult to get that horse back in the barn. Yes. Because once it was open, I tell you, people ran wild. They ran to the beaches, as you know, all over the country. Holidays started coming, rolling in, and people wanted to just get in the water, get on the beach, and sun themselves and all of that. And boy, it just, it became a huge issue here. Yes. Huge issue. Yeah. And so it was frightening, and, but, you know, then everybody said, oh, okay, wait a moment. If we can get the teenagers, because they kept, really saying it was the teenagers, but it wasn't. If we can get the teenagers to wear their masks, and then they don't take it home to their parents and grandparents and the kids and the this and the that and the other, then I think we will be okay. But then they started wearing masks in the grocery store. Uh, All of the workers in the store, every single worker in the store, they were cleaning those baskets that you put your food in, and they wiped, they cleaned, deep dive cleaning. It was early this and late that I loved it so much. I really did because, like I said, I'm in my little area here, and you know West Palm Beach very well. Oh, yes. We're in a little bit of a, a bubble yes. of cuteness and sweetness. Yeah, I was going to say, that. yes. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but Miami Dade is, is like New York. It's big, it's got every culture in it, it's got people from everywhere and they were having issues and you know and stuff and it was just and everybody was saying oh yes but we're in West Palm Beach and that's down in Miami and that's an hour and a half away and, yeah. you know and I kept thinking yes yeah. the breeze blows I know you the know wind blows I, on, when I know? hear people talk like that a, a virus doesn't doesn't respect borders let alone no. driving up 95 <laughs> you know right. I'm no, I don't understand it. I mean, I know uh, Trump constantly preaches, talks about it, if he talks about it at all, as though it's something that doesn't travel or whatever. But anyway, yeah. let's not get on to him. Let's let's switch to some showbiz stuff. This has been, I'm so happy to have heard from Florida, uh, your perspective of what's going on down there culturally and electorally, et cetera. But I want to get some before we have to go. Uh, bring us up to date. You did a video recently of showbiz stories, you call them. What, what's up with that? Yes. Well, what that is, a friend of mine who lives in New York decided that he wanted to have some showbiz stories on just all kinds of back stories from every walk of life in this business. And he got in touch with me and asked me to put a couple of stories together, and I did. And I sent them to him. I did a video in the new Burt Reynolds Theater, mm-hmm. and it was the set was dressed, and it was done very well. We had a professional videographer come in and, and do everything for us. And it was, I sent it to, his name is Marion Kathy. He just loved it. He mm. absolutely loved it. He said, Avery, I laughed out loud, and I told him a story about Burt Reynolds yes. and when he asked me to do his TV show. And so he absolutely loved it. And what he is doing is still collecting stories uh, from uh, other people that he wants to be involved in it. And his website is going to go live sometime soon. Uh-huh. And that's going to be uh, my stories will be a part of that. And I actually mentioned you in my stories, oh. uh, Marcello. That's not the and, part he uh, laughed at, is it? No. <laughs> 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 no, that's not the part that he laughed at. Oh, he loved okay. all of it. <laughs> Well, th- 
thanks for mentioning me. I, I'm looking forward to seeing all of it because I know it's, uh, it's got to be a class act when you do it. I, you know, speaking of class acts, the last time I actually saw you was, I believe, last November. We were both in New mm -hmm. York City. I was working on this new musical I'm writing, and mm -hmm. uh, the composer and I came to see you in, in a show. And you, part of what you were doing up there then was the, the cabaret conventions, which, which happens like around October. Are they planning anything this October? Yes, absolutely. They're doing it virtually. And as a matter of fact, I was invited to be a part of the convention again this year. And they are, they've asked me to just sing one song with my, my musical director. And so I actually did that uh, this past Saturday. I got together with Phil Hinton, who is my musical director here in South Florida. He and I have worked together now for a good 10 years. Mm -hmm. And he videoed my song and we got it sent off. And I, what I know now is that it's going to be called a cabaret around the world. And they wanted someone from South Florida. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one from South Florida, but it's going to be two days. The convention, when it's live, is three days, but I believe it's going to be two days this year, sometime in the 20s, 20, 21, 22 of October, streaming. And uh, so I will find out more information, and hopefully it will be uh, after we've talked possibly the next time. If not, I will certainly let you know when okay. it's going to be on. Okay, wonderful. And you mentioned mm -hmm. early on and I told you I'd want to come back to it. You have, in February, you have a Norton Gallery of Art and another in the yes. uh, Arts Garage. Tell us about those. Yes, the Norton Art Gallery is a wonderful, wonderful gallery. It's got gorgeous paintings and renderings and drawings and all sorts of things. And in February, this coming February, they're going to do an outdoor cabaret sort of style thing that... Uh, they wanted to do to bring people back to the gallery after um, things open up a bit here and things have begun to open up here now. So I was asked to do sort of a girl singer with the band kind oh. of a thing that I haven't done in very many years. And uh, it, it, you sing for 30 minutes and then you take a 10 minute break and then you come back and you sing for 30 minutes and you, and you take a break and all that. And I have not done that in low these many years, Marcello, but It'll be fun to do, and Phil and I will be uh, doing that. And so, you know, it's 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 the same kinds of songs. There are a lot of it's blues and a little jazz, and you know, and those kinds of things. Because they all think they everybody thinks that um, that I'm a, a blues singer and a jazz singer. I don't know where they got that idea from. But, okay. <laughs> well, they're but, all right. they're just going to love you no matter what you sing anyway. So they can call it what they want. <laughs> Whatever they want. That's right. But then in, in, in May at Arts Garage, I will be doing my new show. It is a 75-minute show, as I as I always do, you know, 75-minute shows. And this new show is one that Dana Rowe and I have worked on. And oh, you met Dana. Oh, he was yes. my musical director in New York. Yes, yes. Great job. Yes. He's, he's, he's pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, so he and I are going to be doing my new show. It's a show that really started out with me saying, well, my gosh, people think I'm a blues singer. I might just as well be a blues singer. So I started out trying to figure out how to do, how to sing the blues and what to do about that. And I came up with the idea of doing Avery Summers Sings of Rivers and blues. Yes. So it's, yeah. So that's what it is now. Originally, I called it Free to Sing the Blues at Last. But, you know, it evolved. And yes. we've been working on this show now for more than a year. Mm -hmm. Just every once in a while, putting down thoughts and putting down ideas. And so it has evolved. Uh, and I'm thrilled about it. And I'm very excited. And that's going to be May 7th okay. in, um, in Arts Garage. Fantastic. And, you know, that's it's just terrific. It's terrific. All of it. All right, Avery, we really must go. I've had a blast. I hope you have, too. And, yeah. Yes. And we, we talked about, uh, you know, we went through the gamut of, of uh, things and emotions and everything. But uh, so appreciate you, of course, as a human being, as a talent, 
and I certainly appreciate you as a guest, and we'll talk to you. We'll keep doing these second Mondays as long as you want, okay? Absolutely. I love it, and thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of this wonderful forum that you have going on. It's been going on for quite a while, Marcello. I, I know that you've been doing this a very long time. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of it and having a chance to uh, say, and so it is. There it is, everyone. Avery Summers, Broadway, film, television. Our guest today, who has her point of view that she's willing to share with us, and it's one that always teaches me something every time we have a conversation. Thank you so much, Avery. All the best. We'll talk in a month, okay? All the best to you. Bye God now. Bye-bye. And now, Broadway's Avery Summers. Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Beyond Belief, simple truths for both the non-simple and simple alike. 1. Despite America's A. Record-breaking West Coast wildfires. B. Ascension into the sacred assumption of National Association police officers, together we are better qualified immunity. C. To protect and serve Roman Catholic seminary semen projectiles onto children. 2. Notwithstanding vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. A. Mitch McConnell's there will be an orderly transfer of power in January doesn't assuage his agony over 1987 Democratic Robert Bork rejection, but rather lists supreme property Republicans must sell USA. B. Attorney Bill Barr's quietly legitimizing federal agents' invasion of our American homeland. New York City, Portland, Chicago, Albuquerque, for example. C. Trump rages against Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, European Union Ambassador Gordon Sunderland, and Michael Cohen. 3. In defiance of the distraught, devastated, and disenfranchised, A. Massive presidential dereliction of duty is permitted, over 7 million coronavirus cases, and over 200,000 deaths. B. Governors are manipulated into reopening schools during a pandemic, ignoring scientific predictions. C. Peaceful assembly and peaceful transfer of power are threatened. 
Unlike our 45ths playing a down approach to American health care and resulting cost in both human life and livelihood, especially to heroic frontline first responders in hospitals, small businesses, and family home schooling, Donald Trump proves, with current Supreme Court nomination, he can move decisively, even expeditiously, when it's in his own best interests and doesn't include shaking hands with disgusting people. Put simply, Donald Trump's administration and family enterprises are the natural, unmistakable, and self-fulfilling end-time scenario dangling us at the end of the hangman's rope of succession. From slavery's caste system to neo-Nazi Dulles brothers foreshadowing too big to fail, corporatism's forever oil wars manipulating the herd mentality, gnawing still on the belief that the color of one's skin determines one's entitlements and pecker order. Sadly, it only takes a few moneyed pawn-makers to bring down a democratic republic unless we the people, one, vote early in such numbers we prove to the world America does not get rid of ballots, two, proclaim this far but no farther to all Republicans under the tutelage of RNC chair Rona Romney McDaniel's plans, aided and abetted by Comrade Putin, to continue the supreme work of Karl Rove's devilish advocacy in Citizens United, to create a political alternative to one person, one vote, not on behalf of the American people and survival of our constitutional law of the land, but to circumvent the vote count in battleground states with courtroom gestures maneuvering for time between November 3rd and December 14th, 2020. 3. Stop focusing on Trump lies only, although always testing and rehearsing how close he can push us to the precipice, Trump has told us his truth many, many times. Article 2 lets me do anything I want. Our elections in 2020 are a democratic hoax. Now is the time to resurrect Ask What You Can Do For Your Country by rejuvenating our respect and reverence for each other, perhaps especially our teachers, medical personnel, scientists, and farmers. Remembering, not all teachers are found in classrooms confined within COVID-19-infested school buildings, and the farmers we seek are not found on the factory farms of corporatism, but family farms and farmers who have always known as goes the soil, goes diet, nutrition, humanity, and by extension, all life on earth. Since President Franklin D. Roosevelt's 1945 death freed the greed of household corporate names to launch their takeover of America, we the people have been sliding into the role of mindless, aimless, spoon-fed misinformation and now social media addiction. So, in the words of Cher, snap out of it. Yes, some Trump voters do thrive on reviving Jim Crow second-class citizenship for women, and servitude for all non-white people. However, the far more dangerous Trump enablers care less about who votes for or against Trump than they do in controlling their investment in a presidential puppet. All who desire the survival of our Constitution, the resurrection of Lincoln's American dream of a democratic republic of all the people, by all the people, and for all the people, and the rejuvenation of our exceptional experiment in one person, one vote, need to act like it until the very end of our journey, by emulating Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and show up. Face it. A lot of us long for the simplicity of the unhurried and neighborly lifestyle over the back fence of our grandparents. If only we didn't need to give up fast gas guzzlers, one-night stands, and our cell phones to get it. But America's life's breath requires more than just hugging a flag. Beware, for all of the freedom of choice we've let slip away, there is more than enough dirty money to blind conservatives in denial to the inevitable loss of planet because of our lack of stewardship and love thy neighbor as thyself. Listen, if we do not reject and vote Donald Trump from office, America may indeed die in the arms of corporate rape. But still worse, our grandchildren will die from climate change. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.